some of you know, I've shared our story kind of in and out as we, our church has been around. We're coming up on four years um, this winter, so we're three and a half or so. Yeah, praise Jesus for that. And uh, I grew up here, but uh, spent about 13 years wandering around, and one of those places I was wandering was Montrose, Colorado. So for nine years of my life, uh, I spent uh, pursuing a good-looking young lady down there uh, who I eventually married, uh, and her dad was a pastor, and so I ended up working at that church for nine years as an assistant pastor and youth pastor and worship leader and radio station manager and whatever else they wanted me to do. Uh, and so when time came for us to plant a church, uh, they sent us out and have supported us and continue to support us, uh, and praise God, they are here uh, Pastor Ben and his wife Judy this morning. So we're going to hear from Pastor Ben this morning. So Ben, come on up. Uh, this Is this the first time you've got to teach at a church that has planted out of Calvary Montrose? This is the first time, absolutely. Woohoo! We're in. Calvary Montrose's baby church, Riverstone Chapel, Ben gets to preach. So, uh, yes. Listen, I'm going to ask you to, ushers have Bibles, right? Is there anyone here that does not have a Bible with you? We are people that believe in the Word of God. Can we get a Bible over here? Raise your hand high in the air. want you guys to open then to the Gospel of John. Get your Bibles or your phones, however you want to do it. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the Word together. I'm going to give you a little exercise. In the old days, they used to read the Word aloud, and that was part of church. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Again, right here in front as well. Okay, anybody else? You're going to open up to the Gospel of John. We find ourselves in chapter 14 this morning, and I know I need to be brief. I'm used to speaking for two hours. No, just kidding. Uh, for a few minutes, but uh, John chapter 14. Now, I had Austin put it up. Uh, today's Sunday, by the way, October 11th. You have a few more days before Christmas. Okay, so be thinking about all these things, future, right? And I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. So I asked Austin to Austin put it up. I'm going to start off with the odd verse, then I want you to respond with the even-numbered verse. Do you get it? Only six verses. You only read three. So I'll begin with the odd-numbered verse. You respond with the even-numbered verse. Here we go. John chapter 14, verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Don't get shy. Come on. That's why you have coffee. Jerry lets you drink coffee in here. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Father God, once again, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, the Comforter, our Helper, our Teacher, would make your word clear for us today, that you would encourage us, that you would comfort us, and that you would teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, you may be seated at this time. Do you mind if I affectionately call you church? I thought about calling you Riverstone, listen to this and that, but you hear Riverstone all the time. I'm calling you church because it's not the building, it's we the people who are the church right now 
Just let me recap for you where we're at. Just to begin 14, let me give you 13, right? Just real briefly. Um, listen, the disciples were troubled. They're sitting around the table. All 13 of them are sitting around a table. Jesus has finished public ministry. He's not over there healing anymore. All this stuff is done. It's over with, right? He's closing, if you may, as they say in sales, close the deal, right? So he's closing and the disciples were troubled. Why? Jesus had become visibly troubled in spirit and he had shared with them, guys, one of you is going to betray me. Oh, oh. Three, three and a half years being with Jesus, being part of the miracles, and one of them was going to betray them. Listen, Jesus was 100% man, human being, born of Mary, right? Born into this world, and he was 100% the God-man, right? And so they could see in him physically that he was hurting, right? The disciples were troubled. As Judas exited the upper room, and Jesus began to share that now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. So what is it? It's the last going around the track the last time. It's into the fourth quarter. It's finishing up that mission that Father God and Jesus have planned from eternity past. This is how mankind would be saved, right? So it was clear to them that his work, his heavenly mission was about to be completed by his death on the cross why does it have to end so ugly why did it have to end this way right it's hurting the disciples were troubled as peter was bragging on how he would lay down his life how lord if they take you down to timbuktu i'm ready to go if they put you in the can or they put you in jail sorry I, I, i'm really willing to go with you right uh, and jesus turns around and says to him most assuredly i say to you before the rooster uh, the rooster shall not crow to you have denied me three times. What seemed like a second to them, Peter went from hero to zero, just like that, bam, right? The disciples were troubled when they began to think, what chance do we have? Big Pete's going to fail before sunrise? What chance do we have? He's our hero. He's the guy that's always getting out there for us, putting it out there. What chance do we have? The disciples were troubled. So here we begin in chapter 14, that is also a chapter, it's all for us, but specifically this chapter, because we're going to find Jesus comforting, we're going to find him teaching, we're going to find him encouraging, and what he does for them, the disciples then, is for we today who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in what? Believe in me. Now listen, when one is raised to believe in God, the God of the Bible, there is no one, no big man, no superhero, right, that could ever come close to God. He is the, the faith God that you put your trust in. He is the one that's always there. He's the one that will dry your tears if you ever get busted and you find yourself in the camp. By the way, I've been a chaplain for like 30 years now, in and out of state prisons, but as a chaplain, right? And uh, I, I just got to tell you, when I talk to the guys, reality is when they slam those doors shut, and if you've ever been there, put on the orange suit, gone through the fingerprint stuff, you find yourself by yourself. And when no one's around, trust me, the tear comes down the cheek and hits that pillow. And it's the God of the Bible who is still there for us, right? No one came close to him. The disciples, as you know, were Jewish. 
They were raised believing and trusting in God, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, right? The God who sent Moses and the prophets to them. They were raised as you and I as Americans, right? As Americans, we believe them. Washington, Jefferson, and Franklin were our founding fathers of the United States of America. And they penned our Constitution and even wrote and gave us a Bill of Rights. The disciples' hearts were troubled, and today many an American heart is also troubled. Whether you're red or blue, how you're going to vote and this and that, our country is fighting, fighting with each other. And there will be no peace. I hate to tell you the truth, but I got to tell you the truth. The truth does not kill. It hurts, but it does not kill. But the devil is having a field day with all of us Americans. All of us going like this instead of being that united country that stood for so long. He has found a way to split it. And he's doing a great job if you were in the world and taking points. But there are those who still believe in the Lord. Listen, Jesus comforted his disciples then, and he comforts us today by saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So from the faith God to a physical person in Jesus Christ sitting across the table from them, believe also in me. In other words, though, Jesus is saying, stop your heart and your head from being down and start looking up, right? Times do come, as it did for the disciples, especially when they heard that their big tough guy Pete would surely fail, that life is over. But Riverstone, it only seems that way. Church, it only seems that way. The remedy, the comfort, if you may, comes when we ourselves halt our own heart from being troubled. Jesus says here, let not. What does that mean, let not? It means that you can stop your heart from going downhill. What do you mean? Well, come on. When's the last time you ran out of gas? Let not your tank go empty. Right? You get it. Dad, mom looking at dad as she's giving uh, baby Eva bathtub or something. Let not you fill the tub over. Right? Don't let that tub go over with water. You know how to stop these things. So what are Jesus' words? Let not your heart be troubled. When guys are committing suicide, girls are committing suicide in Montrose and Western Colorado, it's a big deal. But when we get the chance to go in, we start talking to the person. It's eye-to-eye contact. It's heart-to-heart. I hold their hands. I do whatever I can because their hearts are troubled and they are down. And no one's told them that they can stop this. No one's told them that they could transfer and put their eyes on the Lord. Let not your heart be troubled is something that we can do. So Jesus, intimately, personally, around the table, looking at them, eyeball to eyeball, and he says, I know what you, what you know. I've shared everything I can with you. But let not your heart be troubled. How do you do that? By digging deep into your heart, into your soul, and the spirit where God alone stands. Is he here? Is he anchored down in here? If there was no one else, is he right here in your heart? Right? So this is where the disciples, they had to go there personally. And of course they believed in God. So now Jesus says to them, Believe also in me. What a timely word. Now think about this. They were with him now three, three and a half years. They had seen Jesus in the temple tell the man whose arm was short, do you want to be healed? And he says, yes, stretch out your arm. The man stretched out his arm. When they were out on sea and they came by a shore, the people multitude had followed him. It had become late. Jesus says, we got to feed these guys, right? How? 
Finds a little fellow, three fish, five loaves of bread. And how many were fed? Over 5,000 men. The guys saw this, right? Little girl was dead, right? Jesus comes up, prays for her, raises her from the dead, returns her to her mom and dad, right? And says, by the way, give her some to eat. She's hungry, right? The Lord knows these things. We get hungry sometimes. But they were there. You believe in God? Believe also in me. So for lack of a better word, there's a transference here from God in your heart, who you've always believed to, to Jesus now, who physically was there. It's a timely word. So the remaining 11 disciples, like Judas the betrayer, had spent those same three years, three and a half years, but unlike Judas, who never genuinely surrendered his heart, they had. 11 had. They had witnessed again only what God could do through the works of Jesus. So this transition took place. And for them, Jesus is saying, believe also in me. You're not offending God. You're not two-timing God. Believe also in me. Jesus was the Messiah. He was, he is the Son of God. You know, the Bible informs us that God has a son, right? He informs us. There are religions today that say God has no sons. God has no son, right? People that say Jesus was just a prophet at best. But the Bible says to us that God has a son. Now, I know most of you are familiar with John 3.16, for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son. But most Jewish people say, don't take me to the New Testament. I don't believe in the New Testament. So you take him to the Old Testament. God has a son. Answer the question if you can. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Right? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you know, Proverbs 30, verse 4. There's your, there's your Old Testament. You can speak to anyone, but you need to know in here, God has a son, and his name is Jesus I've been told that in the original Hebrew, it is even much more clearer than our English. Thus, church, it wasn't, I believe, a huge jump for the disciples to receive in their heart and their soul Jesus' word to them, to halt, to stop their heart from being troubled, and so to look forward and to believe also in him. And what does this do? It began their source of comfort. And think about it. Think about what they were thinking. Wow. God the Father, God the Son, we are to believe in both, and that's okay. It's acceptable, right? Now, they are still seated around the table. The Last Supper has taken place. They have had communion in a very, very special way. And now, with their eyes and their ears focused on Jesus, he continues to comfort them by teaching them that uh, something new. And so it's something that they could look forward to. And you and I should be looking forward to this as well. Verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. Church, these Three verses here, they are connected with the word and. And is a conjunction, it connects it. 
So I want you to connect these verses in the same manner as if Pastor Jared was to say to you, hey, I'm taking you guys to lunch. How many understand that? How many guys that change your continents if you're down and hungry? Oh, Jared's taking us to lunch. But there's an end here. And, right, lunch also means all you can drink. You'd be saying, yeah, brother, Pastor Jared, he's my man, right? But there's one more end. And this lunch also includes dessert. Mm. Yeah, for those of us that have a sweet tooth, right, that, that's a good thing, right? So raise your hand if you track with me, if you understood that lunch. That lunch is not only the food, it's the drink, it's the dessert. The ends connected, right? So let's consider verse 2. Jesus says in comforting and also in teaching the guys back then, and comforting and teaching us today, the believers of today, he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. His eyes are dancing. They're looking at the 11 guys that are there. Now, I'm sure the guy's countenance, they lifted, uh, it was lifted, uh, their facial expressions, that is, right? Um, they changed from hearts being troubled to, well, look at some of you, how you smile when you, you hear that Jared's taking you out to lunch, right? Our hearts are lifted. It shows in our face. And church, that is a good thing. But I want you to track with me, right? What Jesus said is way better than lunch. He informs, he teaches here that in his father's house, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Now, I know, and you should know, that there's a lot of smart people out there, some scholars. They would tell you uh, that uh, the word mansion here in verse 2 literally means dwellings. Dwellings, right? As if to say to us, don't get all excited. I'm not getting you a house in South Hill. You know, it's like you're not supposed to get happy about it, right? Or something like that. In fact, your Bible might even say that the word mansion means dwellings or has a reference to that. But what the smart people, the intellectuals don't know, right, is where you and I live today. They just don't have a clue where we live, right? And I can assure you that any place where Father God is now and Jesus the victorious King is, where they live today, compared to our homes, is a mansion. It is a mansion, right? And Jesus says here that there are many of them. It's not just one or two. It's not just the South Hill. It's not just Beverly Hills. It's not just, you know, what we see around Bel Air and Southern Cal where I grew up. It's not, there's many of them, right? So church, the disciples then and you and I today should be both comforted because back then, who knows what home or what field the 11 were going to sleep in that evening. They've been comforted with something that's real and it's in front of them. And so they're looking forward. They have that hope from, that they heard from Jesus say from his words. Here they have just learned, again, from Jesus the teacher. And so they are amazed that heaven, in heaven there are many mansions that they did not know about. But now they do. So each one of you has a place who have accepted Jesus Christ has a place when we leave this place in heaven. And guess what? No rent, right? No utilities, right? None of this stuff, right? Not even a food bill. The Lord has it all covered. It's on his dime. His son paid the price. It is finished, right? So we have something to look forward to. Now, I don't know what the disciples made of this. 
I do not know, uh, I, do not, I do know that you and I come from different backgrounds. And for some of us, when we get to heaven, let's just say we drop in on Moses. Hey, Mo, how's it going? Good, good, right? Or we want to drop in on him. We don't know where he lives, so we go to the angel. Hey, can you give us Moses' address? Can you just give us his address? And the angel might say to us, hey, Moses lives on number one, Manna Lane, right? And church, that's okay. You know, if you come from outside of downtown and you have a family dwelling somewhere, a house somewhere, uh, you get number one lane, so you are okay with that, and you come. Same question, though. Let's just say you're from here from the city, if you may, and uh, you ask the angel, uh, hey, where does Mo live? And he might say to you, he lives on the seventh floor uh, of the Davenport. No, no. He, he lives on the seventh floor of Hallelujah Towers, right? And because you're from downtown and you're familiar with high rises, you might ask the angel, okay, no big deal, seventh floor. What's his number? And the angel might say to you, no, no, no. He has the whole seventh floor. Like, seventh floor. If you're Jewish, you would say, oi, vey, right? <laughs> if you're just Americans like the rest of us, you might say, oh, wow, man, the whole seventh floor. And if you're Mexican like me, you would say, ay, caramba, or híjole, right? We'd be saying something like that. But here is where they were totally encouraged, and we should be as well. Because remember, Jesus comforts, he teaches, and he encouraged his disciples then, and today uh, he encourages us. Jesus' very next words from the last part of verse 2, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. So, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm not going to be pulling your leg. I would have told you. And I go, he's looking at them at the table. I go to prepare a place for you. Church, if that didn't put a boom shakalaka on their face, I, I don't know what would. I don't know what would put a great expression on their face, right? Whether we live on Manna Lane or have a condo in the Hallelujah Towers, we are encouraged that the disciples then, and you and I uh, should be encouraged today, is that when this life is over, we will have a custom dwelling place or home or mansion that has been built by Jesus, right? And it's in heaven, right? It is an amazing place. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus was looking into their eyes, right? It was personal. If you were reading my Bible, it says, I go to prepare a place for Ben, I put my name in here, right? You should put your, if it's your Bible, put your name in it. These promises are for you. You better grab this. By the way, if you don't know this, this is the only thing that makes it to heaven. His word. Nothing else will. His word makes it to heaven. This word will not change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his, not his word. It will last forever and ever. Verse 3. And if I go, hello, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Church, let me emphasize Jesus saying, I will come again and receive you to myself. Jesus' words, receive you, as part of this table talk in which Jesus is comforting, teaching, and encouraging his disciples then, and of course, us today, is that Jesus gives a promise of his personal return, right? His personal return. Last time I was here at Spokane Airport, there are no flights going to heaven. Uh, I was in Denver. There are no flights scheduled out of Denver to heaven as well. Uh, neither in Los Angeles or New York. No flights going directly there. Jesus says, if I go, I'm going to come back and receive you. What has to happen? You can't go. You're done. You, by believing in Jesus Christ, 
has a ticket confirmed that he is going to come back for you and take you to be with him because we can't make it. There's no way we could make it, right? This is a doctrine or a teaching that is expanded by the Apostle Paul later on in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But before we read this, the aspect of our Lord's return is to be distinguished. Listen to me. It's different than his coming to earth again when he sets up his kingdom, or as we would say, when he sets up shop. This is something different. It's known as the rapture of the church. Now, we find him coming again to the earth to set up shop in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 19, certain verses 11 to 16. But let's, let's, let's peek, take a peekaboo of what Jesus is saying. I will come again and receive you to myself. I have it up here. It says this, but I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, no secrets from Jesus. I want you all to know. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We Christians, when we, uh, one of our loved ones pass away, we do weep, we do cry. But as King David said, I cannot, he, the baby cannot come to me when he lost his son to Bathsheba, but I will one day go to him. We have that hope that we will see our loved ones in Christ in the future. 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, raise your hand if you believe that. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, right? For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Greek word harpazio, right? It's a snatching away. Hi, Judy, how you doing? Gone, right? But you didn't even drink your coffee or whatever. Whatever it is, you're going to be taken up. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen. Of course, this is the comfort of Christ coming. He is coming to receive us to himself, COVID or no COVID. He is coming. He won't be wearing a mask, by the way. Verse 4. <laughs> And where I go, you know, and the way you know, church, Jesus was returning to God. He was returning to heaven. Secondly, Jesus infers that they had been told the way. Have you been told the way how to get to heaven? You've been told the way just as the guys had been. Now they had to recollect it, right? Know with me. Jesus Christ is willing to make the best of his people's knowledge Though we are weak and we are defective in it, right? He knows the good that is in us better than we do ourselves. And is certain, if you may, that we have the, that knowledge and that faith and that love of which we ourselves are not sensible or not certain, right? But there you go. The Lord takes us more serious than we do ourselves. He knows where you put your trust in. He knows whom you put your trust in. Thomas, verse 5, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? So church, apparently Thomas did not understand the meaning of the Lord's words. Like Peter, I'll go with you anywhere. 
I don't care we cross this border or that border. Wherever you go, I'm going to go and I'm going to die with you. They were thinking of a journey to someplace on the earth. And that wasn't it at all. So here we go. Verse 6. Jesus said to him, last verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Riverstone, this is a great verse to memorize, but it's even better to know what it's saying. To know up here. Not just parroting words, but to know what it is saying. It is clear, for here Jesus makes it clear that he himself, he himself is the way to heaven. He does not merely show the way. He is the way. Right? Salvation, understand, is in a person. Accept that person as your own and you have salvation. Christianity is Christ. Right? The Lord Jesus is not just one uh, in many ways. He is the only way. Thus our title, one way. He is the only way. Right? No one comes to the Father except through him. Right? Church, understand that the way to God is not by the Ten Commandments. It's not by keeping the golden rule or even ordinances such as baptism. It is through Christ and Christ alone. It's the only way. Interesting that today many say that it does not matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Have you ever been to those funerals and things like that? doesn't matter as long as you are sincere. They say all religion has some good in them and they all lead to heaven. At last, is what they say. But Jesus said this, No one comes to the Father except through me. Does that leave you in doubt? Absolutely not. It's the truth, right? The Lord is the truth. He is not just one who teaches the truth. He is the truth. If truth had a body, it would be Jesus. It would be Jesus. Therefore, those who have Christ have the truth. And it is not found anywhere else Christ Jesus is the life he is the source of life both spiritual and eternal those who receive him have eternal life because he is the life as we close here for today Jesus is still the great comforter he is the great teacher and he is the great encourager right he would like nothing more than for you to personally, down deep inside, believe in him. And you can do that today. How? One, by acknowledging him. He is the only way, right? Repenting of your sins. Recognizing that the things that we do that offend God, they're sinful. And we must repent of it. We must come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And repent means not, you're adults. You don't say, oh, just say you're sorry, honey, like we do with Lord Jordan for dancing up here on the stage, right? It's not just, I'm sorry. You're an adult. As an adult, we get it. And we have to communicate, Lord, I'm wrong. I agree with you that this is wrong. I want to repent of my sin. Believing in your heart that he is the son of God. And asking him and accepting him into your heart even now. So as I close, just want to ask, is there anyone here? that has not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? Is there anyone here that you don't know what happens out here on a one-way? There's one way we talked about, but one way is you get caught looking the other way, and bam, you're out of here. Would you wake up in heaven? Would you be resurrected on the day that he comes forth? Right? If you don't know, I want to pray with you. So would you bow your heads as we close in prayer?